Unstoppable, the power of faith and obedience. That's the series we're in. And I just want you to know, it's very much like, um, like grace and truth. It, it doesn't, it, you can have faith without having obedience and it'll mess the whole thing up. It won't, the, the, the ship won't go anywhere. It won't go the right direction and it could sink. You could have obedience without having faith and still be um, stalled and not move forward in what God's calling you to do for a new day and a great thing. And so together we see these uh, elements working in the children of Israel in the story we're talking about today. And I've called this paving the way to victory. Let's pick the story up in Joshua 3. That's the book we're studying Verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from that city and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now let's talk about this for a moment. It's the Jordan River. These are the people that had already crossed the Red Sea way back there at the beginning. Then they wandered in Israel for, I'm sorry, in the desert for 40 years. And now they're coming to another river uh, and God's about to do another mighty miracle with a new generation. These people hadn't seen it. The, the, the old generation had died off, but now they come to the Jordan. The Jordan River was at flood stage, this passage tells us. Normally, it was 100 feet across. At flood stage, at its very worst case, it is a mile across and 12 feet deep. So Joshua was leading more than a million people to come to the river, and he couldn't ask them to wade across because it's too deep, and the women and children and uh, they, people could drown. He couldn't build enough structures to afford it. Uh, um, where do you get the raw materials to do that for a million people in a short time? And yet, Joshua the leader was confidently leading them to the river's edge. The people were wondering what the plan would be, but here they were following. The enemy was across the river at Jericho. And God had told the Israelites, I'm going to take you into the new land and I'm going to give you victory. And this is the setting that we're in here. Have you ever been there? Where you have a promise, you believe you have a direction that God's given you, you believe he's called you to something, but you can't really see the path to get it done. There's just a degree of impossibility that seems like is right in front of you. Well, this passage has that setting. How in the world are we going to get across this, this flood stage river? But God gives us clear, clear principles to the path of victory. We're going to look at those today. Let's pray. Father, you've called many here uh, to a new thing. Lord, there are businesses, there are careers that are getting ready to launch. Um, there are churches, Lord, that are going to rise up in this region around us if people will be obedient and follow by faith. And so we pray today, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, the, the simple and profound truths of your word would penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're going to get victory to a, to a path and something the Lord's calling you to, the first thing is, is kind of obvious. I'm going to pontificate the obvious here. We must follow the leading of the Lord. I just want to say this. I don't believe in you just picking a dream out of the air and asking God to bless it. I believe that you should let God put a dream in your heart and go towards that. And there's a difference. When God puts a dream in your heart, you're following him. Sometimes we're asking God to follow us with a dream that he's not even for, right? So we have to be careful about that, and we have to say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Let's pick it up in verse 2, chapter 3. 
After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of your Lord, the Lord your God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards, that's over a half mile, between you and the ark, do not go near it. So to catch the significance of this passage, we have to slow down a little bit and talk about the ark of the covenant. What is it? So, so let's check that out. The ark is mentioned, it's pretty prominent in this passage, 16 times in chapters 3 and 4. So it's a pretty important element of what's going on here. Why is that? Well, this is a box that God asked Moses to have built. He said to make it out of acacia wood, and all of the instructions were very specific from God. He was to make it out of acacia wood. It would be about four feet long and about uh, two and a half feet wide and two and a half feet deep. Um, God instructed Moses to have cherubims or angels built on the lid on the outside that would face inward uh, on the ark, and then he wanted the whole thing completely overlaid with gold. And these are God's instructions. And, 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 and so um, we, we see this in the passage and we hear about the, the Ark of the Covenant, but we don't really understand completely what it is sometimes. But it literally represented the presence of the Lord. Look at what it says in Exodus uh, 25, verse 21. This is the instruction. We're finding out what the Ark of the Covenant is now. Here's what God told Moses in those early days. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in it, put in the ark the testimony. So there are going to be some testimony items that God puts in the ark to remind the children of Israel of his greatness and what he's already done in their midst. That's why he's having it built. He said, I'm going to give them to you. See that in verse 21, verse 22. There above the cover, between the two cherubim, that's the angels that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So God says, you build this, and they had it put in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle as they were wandering in the wilderness. They had this tent that they would build. No one could go in but the priest, and, uh, and, and only, only uh, Moses could go into that inner court, and, and the presence of the Lord would literally meet him there at the ark, and that's why it was built. Inside it, that day at Jordan, so we, we, have, we know why it's built, but now they have this history that they're moving along, and great things have happened. So as they approach the river and the ark is going before them, that represents the presence of the Lord, these testimony items have now been placed in it. There were two stone tablets that were the Ten Commandments that God had written out. There was a jar of manna. And you know, the manna was about to cease when they crossed the river because God fed them in the desert with literally small flakes of bread that would fall from the sky for 40 years. Never happened before, never happened since. Just shows you that even when, when the natural elements can't sustain you and things don't look possible, God can just make bread anywhere he wants to. And for 40 years, he sustained them in the desert that way. But it would cease as they crossed the river. They're about to cross it because the provision he was bringing them now, the houses, the homes, the, the crops, the fields were all going to be there for them. But there was a jar of manna there, a gold jar, in that, and, and the manna stayed fresh in there. Remember, because the presence of the Lord was there, remember it would spoil the next day every time in the Old Testament. But it stayed fresh. And not only that, Aaron's rod was there. And Aaron's rod, the Bible says in one place that they were questioning Aaron's leadership at the, at the tabernacle as they would go forward, and his family. And they said, hey, aren't we godly too? Don't we know as much as you? We want our children to do this. And, but God places whom he wants in leadership, you know, and, and it can be a problem if you try to push him out. And so 
God to prove that, that he had chosen Aaron and his children to, to look over that, that tabernacle caused Aaron's rod to bud. And not only that, plant grew out of it, but almond blossoms and almonds came forth that day. And the almond and the blossom uh, were still in the ark, still blossom was this rod. So now we have, we heard about testimony items that they were going to put in there. Now we have them in there. Now the children of Israel know, and not only that, that when Moses was in the tabernacle, uh, he'd go into the Holy of Holies, the priest would slay the animal because there had to be uh, a, a remission of sin by blood that was shed. And in those days, according to the Old Covenant, it was the blood of animals that would bring the atonement for the sin of the people because they'd sinned against God. But nowadays, the new covenant, Jesus Christ is a spotless lamb of God. We don't need animal sacrifice. He was slain for the foundation of the earth, and his blood has been shed so that all of us might be saved. So we don't need it now, but this is the way they did it then. That blood, when they shed the blood of the animals, would be dripped upon the Ark of the Covenant, the lid between the two angels. And that place in the middle between the two angels was called the mercy seat of God. So you have all these elements in there now. You have the mercy seat. You have the presence of God. You have the testimony in the tabernacle, or, or, or rather in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And as they're walking forward, the priests are, they're carrying the Ark. And this is, I said all that to say this. This represented to them the very fact that God was going before them. They weren't asking God to follow them. They were seeking God's presence. And, and as the Ark went forward, they were following God. That was what they were doing in their hearts. When we make big moves in our lives, let's take it down to practical, practical application. We should seek God and follow where he leads. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Do what he's blessing. Now, that's a really good quote that works in life. I didn't make that up. I heard it years ago. But I'm telling you, in, in these years and decades of my life, I've seen it to be true. So many people say, God, this is what I want you to do. Well, I can understand that about healing because he's asked us to pray for healing. But when it comes to the direction of our life, the direction for ministry, the direction for our children, the way our children are, you can't raise your kids just like your parents raised you because they don't have the same personality you do. They don't have the same giftings. And, and we even need to seek God concerning direction with things like that. You think you know what to do because you've seen it and it works someplace. Ask God how to reach your child's heart. Ask God what he's put in there that you can bring out. Don't tell God what he needs to do when you pray. Ask God what he would like for you to do and respond to that. Do you see the difference? God wants to lead you because when he leads you, you find his presence, your direction, you follow him. That will be a path to victory. I think you should pray about whether you should take that promotion. Seems obvious, a lot more money, right? Maybe you've always wanted to do that. Think about David in the Old Testament when they came into Ziklag and they stole all the wives and children and there's a trail and it's a, it's a hot trail and the warriors come back into camp with David and David says, to, the Bible says he inquired of the Lord, should I go after them? What? It's your wife and children. They've been stolen. But David was so tuned into God, will you give me success if I go after them? I think God, David knew that God wanted to give him his his wife and children back, but, but he knew that there was a way that would be best and it would be God's way, the path to victory. And I believe that God will lead you specifically in life sometimes if you learn to seek him. So your daughter's gone astray. 
and you've shaken your finger in her face several times, and it's not working. How about asking God, what can I do to reach her? Maybe it's just prayer right now. Maybe it's waiting till she's ready to ask, but, but we need to do it God's way, and I believe he would lead us to the very best way. Exodus thirty-three fifteen. Then Moses said to him, he's talking to God. I just want to show you how important this was to great leaders in the Bible. Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? God's presence before and we're following him. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain, the Bible says. I remember when we were moving to this property, we'd raised as much money as we could, and the Lord had blessed with millions of dollars coming forth, way beyond our ability to produce. And yet, I remember <clears throat> as um, I would come out here to pray, uh, the, the, the land was being excavated, and... Um, it was the summertime as we started to build, and every week for 12 straight weeks, we had a cost overrun of thirty dollars to $120,000, 12 straight weeks through the summer. We hit a rock bigger than a car that took somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000 to remove a rock. Really? A rock? Can't we just build pavement around it or something, you know? And, and, and so every week, uh, you know, we didn't have enough to get it done already. Every week, I could just feel the pain of this. People sold houses and cars and and, 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 and we're having cost overruns. And I remember praying and say, saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I can lead this. Maybe you need someone else. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe you need someone else uh, because this is difficult, God. And I, I, do, you, do you want someone else? And I felt the Lord say to me th- these words. Now, he didn't say it audibly, but I, but I felt that I heard it clearly. You don't have to lead. You just have to follow. And I don't normally get a word picture when I feel that the Lord speaks to me. But I, but I saw this picture in my mind as it was being spoken to my spirit where Jesus got just in front of me and I slipped in behind him and we were just walking. And it was so comforting to know, for me to know that I didn't have to lead, I just had to follow, right? Here's, here's a great tip for you when it comes to spiritual things. Great leadership is great fellowship. Jesus is the captain. God knows the direction that he wants to go. So when we seek God and we find God and we get in behind and we move, he does things. But sometimes we don't even ask him what he wants to do. We tell him what we want to do and say, please bless this. Well, that's not best. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Do what he's blessing. Second thought, paving paving the path to victory. We must keep our hearts pure before God. I'm just here to tell you that this is not valued enough in the church of Jesus Christ in America today. Um, It's true that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's absolutely true that God values purity. Should we sin that grace will abound, the word says? No, no. Here's what it says in Joshua 3.5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Now, that's, that's a word we don't use much these days. What's it mean? I remember a lady giving a testimony when I was a young boy in a Pentecostal church, just a small church. They had testimony times where in the middle of the service, they'd say, anybody want to share? And they'd stand and say, I want to give a testimony to Jesus. And she meant to say, from now on, I want to be the most consecrated, which means committed and pure Christian, the most consecrated Christian that there's ever been. 
But what she said was, from now on, I want to be the most constipated Christian that there's ever been. And uh, we were just praying that the Lord wouldn't answer her prayer that night. But consecrated actually means to purify, to make clean. Constipated is what's happening when you don't follow God. That's what will happen. Consecrated, it, it just paves the way for what God wants to do. He works through purity. Joshua said, consecrate yourselves, get purified, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Purity is part of the Lord doing amazing things. I'm just saying. It's in the Word. We'll read it here in the New Testament. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. In the Old Testament, this word was used in the Hebrew in several places. And in some of the places, when they said consecrate yourself, symbolically, they would, they would go take a bath, clean up their bodies, and put, put clean clothes on as a sign that, that they were, they'd been purified, they were clean. And it always happened, this consecration that God would ask for, just before a fresh beginning. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I'm going to do great and mighty things among you. God was telling these people to make their hearts clean before they moved across that river. I'm going to do great things, but I need your hearts to be pure. <clears throat> and they were getting their hearts right and good before God as they started. Now, I, I just want to tell you this, and it's, it's so easily seen in the Word, but so rarely talked about today. God will not act powerfully on the behalf of His, behalf of his people if they're not inwardly clean and aligned with His will. Does he love you if you're not pure? Yes, he does. He loves you. Are you a Christian? Yes, you can be a Christian when you don't have it all together. Will you see as much of the power and the working of God if you're not pure? No, you will not see as much. It's true. I mean, it's true that God will do a miracle even in an unbeliever's life. We see that in the Old, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. We see it in life. So, so it's not completely true, but it is generally true for sure that if we don't walk in purity there won't be as many miracles and you won't see the amazing works of God the way he wants to perform them. Absolutely true. He likes purity. He values purity. Here it is in the Bible, Colossians 3, 5. <clears throat> now remember, this is the New Testament. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing. Now I didn't say have, a little to, have little to do with, with sexual sin here. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desire. Well, he wouldn't ask us to do something that he couldn't empower us to do, would he? No, when we take a step, his grace empowers us to, to, to overcome, even in those areas. And these other areas that, that are sinful, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world, that's materialism that, that he's saying. Don't let it overcome you. Verse 6, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. I want you to know that a loving God has anger against sin that hurts his people and others when they sin. If a person says, I only drink, I, I, no, let's put it this way. I only get drunk every now and then, and I know the Lord loves me. Okay? Gets drunk, he cusses out his wife, he verbally abuses his children, and it only happened ten times in, in their whole existence as they were raised. I'm going to tell you something. Ten times can seriously damage relationships. There are people sitting in this congregation today who, because of alcohol, heard over and over again that they were worthless who had that snatch somebody away. And so you can make a few mistakes and you say, well, God will still love me and bless me, but I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna hurt your family. And God says, I love you so much, 
I want to deliver you from these, from these things that would so easily hurt you and harm the people you love. Get rid of <clears throat> anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. I thought it was okay to say dirty language. Well, evidently he doesn't like it. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and it's all wicked deeds. And all it's wicked deeds, rather. Put on your new nature, renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So God asks us to consecrate our hearts on a regular basis here in the New Testament as well. You say, I don't know, Pastor. That seems a little strong. And <clears throat> God is loving. Well, let me ask you, do you value purity? I'll bet you do more than you know. Check this out. It came from a blog called The Alpha Parent. <clears throat> it's talking about the 2011 standards of the Food and Drug Administration. Let's see how much you like purity. It reveals the fact, these are today's standards for food in America. Items such as bug parts, rodent hairs, and rodent droppings are in fact deemed an acceptable standard in the food processing industry. The Food and Drug Administration has produced guidelines <clears throat> detailing the acceptable levels of food contamination from sources such as maggots, thrips, insect fragments. I don't even know what a thrip is, but if it's in that list, I don't want it. Just take it out, please, all right? <clears throat> Foreign matter, <clears throat> mold, rodent hairs, and insect uh, and mammalian feces are allowed in small part. Mammalian feces aren't people... Mammals? I mean, this is weird. What? It must be small animals. I don't know what they're talking about. For, for instance, tomato paste, <clears throat> pizza sauce, and other sauces can legally include 30 or more fly eggs per 100 grams. Alternatively, you can have 15 or more fly eggs and one or more maggots. How many maggots is too many in your food? I'm just asking. For me, it's one. One is too many. I don't want to eat a maggot. I want more purity than that, all right? As another example, wheat flour, a common ingredient in baby food, can include an average of 150 or more insect fragments per 100 grams. That is an acceptable standard today. Now, maybe you won't die, but you pro I can tell you don't like this already, right? You didn't know that was in there. And I just have this question. We're talking about the value of purity. <clears throat> how much poo-poo do you want in your pizza? I'm just asking, okay? How much is, how much is okay? To me, I, I don't want any. None. So you value purity to some degree, right? I'm just telling you God values it too. And maybe there's an acceptable standard. Maybe we're not perfect, but there's a standard where God says, at this point, I can't work with that. I'll work to love, I'll work to help, but I can't work through. It's too dark, it's too clouded, it's too, it's too dirty. It doesn't look like me. There's no purity there. He likes purity. Psalm 73.1, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. So there's a goodness of God that we see more of when we live our lives the way that, that the Bible, the, the, the love letter of God shows us. Matthew 5.8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's not just talking about heaven. That's talking about here, too. The pure in heart will see God in a greater way. So what do we do if we've just got something lurking in our lives that's hanging around that we're just letting sit there? 
Maybe it's anger and it seethes and that hurts and wounds people we love and that affects our relationships at work and maybe we picked it up at home way back and maybe now you realize this isn't good. What do you do? Do you say this? Well, that's just who I am and you have to accept me? Well, how would that work with your four-year-old saying that to you? Just have a question. Sorry, Mom, but you brought me into this world and you'll just have to deal with the way I am. You're going to have to work with that one, right? A little bit. Well, what we say, what God wants is for us to humble ourselves and say, Father, I trust you. I I want to grow. I need to grow for, for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom coming, for the sake of you being seen purely through me that they might see you, for the sake of my family and those around me being blessed and growing as well. Psalm 51.10, here's what we should do. If we have these weaknesses in our lives, we should say, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. That was the prayer of David after he'd sinned. That should be our prayer. Lord, we want to grow. We want purity too. He works powerfully through purity. Path of victory. Part of it is to purify your heart or you don't see the great victory that the Lord wants you to have. Part of it is to follow the leading of the Lord. We must start there. And this third point is leaders must go first. Joshua had been raised up as a new leader. But there were priests and there were There were people that were placed over the tribes of Israel. And this word says in verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. Can can I tell you this? God chooses leaders. doesn't mean that they're uh, the best, most amazing people in the world always. But he chooses people who have a heart towards purity, and he chooses whom he chooses, but he always works through leaders. Old Testament, New Testament today, he chooses leaders and he works through them. Verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, The Girgashites, all these ites, the termites, just seeing if you're listening, the Amorites, the Jebusites. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, here's the leaders now, not just Joshua. Choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests, more leaders there, who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. I want you to know that the waters weren't parted until the leaders went first. Why did God say to Joshua, be strong and courageous? There's always someone who will come against your leadership. At work, at church, beyond. There's always some trouble that can rise up. God wants us to have tender and pure hearts and be loving. Someone asked me many years ago after I'd pastored for two years at this church, what have you learned? And and I was surprised at what I had learned, but I said this, sheep bite. I didn't know that. He chooses leaders, but leaders must have that, that loving heart. Uh, they, they must have thick skin and tender hearts. And that's the kind of people he's looking for. And he called Joshua because he wanted Joshua to follow Moses. And then the leading priest, listen, the river didn't part till the leaders put their feet in the water. 
Every time there's a path to victory for an organization, even if it's a business, starts with leadership. And if it's God's business, it starts with God speaking to that leader, giving them a direction, telling them to go. He has to rally other leadership around him, and they have to take the first steps, or it never happens. So if you're a business person, and God's putting something on your heart, you got to find the point where he says go. And then you got to lead towards it. And you got to know along the way, it's not necessarily always going to be easy, right? Josh was called to lead. The priests are moving. The, the, God chooses leaders and gives them wisdom. And he speaks through leaders to give them action steps. You say, well, does that mean we just have to do whatever leaders say? No, I'm saying if they find the truth and the vision of God, and they walk in purity, and the other leaders around them are picking up the vision and they're moving together, we got a pretty good shot that we're moving God's direction. Because we start with follow God, right? If they're following God and you don't follow them, that's a problem. How do we know that? Well, let's look at the other group of people that crossed the Red Sea. They started to mumble and a really cool Bible word, murmur against Moses. And, against other, and they'd start to rebel against God. And they turned away from God. And what happened? The whole group of them had to wander in Israel for 40 years. They wouldn't have had to if they'd have followed God and followed the leaders that he'd given the word to. But they wandered for 40 years to the point where God said, we're just going to, Old Testament, New Testament's more loving, we're just going to kill them off. We're going to let them wander Till they all die in the wilderness, none of them will enter the promised land. Wow, and that's the problem sometimes if you're not following God's leading and God's leadership is you don't get to enter the promised land. Does God love everybody? Yes, he does. He loves them. And, and it, does God want to help everybody? Yes, he does. But this principle is true of leadership. It's true in businesses. It's true in sports. It's true in the church. Leaders lead. They motivate people to follow, and good things happen if they've got the direction of the Lord. In business, think of Steve Jobs. He's a leader who led. Lee Iacocca. In the church, think of Billy Graham and Rick Warren. In the Old Testament, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Nehemiah. In the New Testament, Peter, James. He called people to lead, and when they did, they had to have the courage to go first and say, this is what I believe the Lord has told me. And with greater confidence, this is what the Lord has spoken to me. I remember, and I, I've been encouraged by one of my mentors to speak these stories regularly about our history here at Horizon because we need to be reminded, um, for those of us that have been in this church perhaps for a long time, we need to be reminded of where the Lord's met us. We have a testimony too. And, 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 and it'll encourage us as we go forward. God said to the children of Israel, tell these stories of my great deliverance and my great miracles to your children and to their children that they might know of my greatness. And so that's, there's that, and, but then we have to, my, my mentor said there's new people all the time, they don't know these stories, so if you've heard it before, it's just a good reminder for us. I was sitting at my desk about 15 years ago at uh, our old office complex, and in retrospect, I know this is true, and I felt it strongly at the moment. The Lord spoke to my heart out of the blue and said, I want to build a great high school to glorify my name. Now, I've been told by all the people before me who've pastored and friends that you don't ever do a Christian school. Don't do a high school especially. It just costs so much money and it's so hard. And so when I heard that from the Lord, my first thought was, I don't want to do a Christian high school. 
But the way I couched it with the Lord, because I know he's God and I'm not, was I don't know anything about high school, God. And I felt that he spoke this back to me. I know a little bit about it. How about if you follow me? I said, Lord, if this is your will, you, sh- you, you, you verify it and show it and I will follow because I don't lead him. We don't lead God, he leads us. I don't just make a good plan because of what all the other churches are doing or because of what I've seen somewhere. You don't do that in business. You, you, God will give creative and amazing ideas that come from his heart that maybe someone's not doing right now. So I said, Lord, if it's your will, show it. And within a week, we had a donation of $600,000. Someone said this, if I give you $600,000 as a matching gift, what would you do with it? And I said, and the first thing that came to my heart was relocating in the high school, but I didn't say it. I said, we would, give, us, give us a week to pray, and let me talk with the elders. And we, I went and talked to them. We talked it through. We spent some time in prayer. Actually, it took more than a week. We asked for more time. And within a couple of weeks, we came back to say, we would move the church to a new location and start a Christian high school on that site. That's what we feel the Lord would have us to do. And he said this, I'm not gonna give 600,000, I'm gonna give a million matching. And we felt like, because God will give you encouragement, right, when you're following. We felt like God said go. Well, here we are today, Friday night, I was at our football game here. There, I don't know for sure, but it felt like a thousand people out there for a playoff football game. And I hear stories over and over. Why would God do this? Why, you know, why would you mess with a high school? Well, I wouldn't, but he would. Because he cares about people. Because there's scores of kids that have come through here and given their heart to Jesus Christ. Because moms and dads whose kids were out of control at a public school are weeping in those offices saying thank you for starting this high school. Not me, to others. Because we were all in on it. The elders were in on it. The church had to say yes. And we had to take steps of faith and go. And God has blessed the church and he's blessed the schools. I believe that that was his will and not mine. The elders receive it. We came with the vision and God has done it. Leaders go first and not until they step into the water will the miracles happen. I'm just here to tell you because I, you know, the talk is um, pastors are talked about uh, so negatively these days. Boy, my dad raised me to be really careful about talking about pastors and spiritual leaders. Um, read the story of Korah and his sons in the Old Testament, and how they came against Aaron, and the great consequences for that. Read the story about Miriam when she said, hey, God speaks to us too, and leprosy came upon her. Now, I'm not saying that'll happen to people wrong, but I'm saying this. If a leader is following God, and, 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 and they're doing their best, and you mess with them, it can, it, it can cause great grief for others, and for you too, and for the leader. Many, thi- many times, I know you've heard how pastors have messed up churches, and that, that's true. We could do a whole sermon on that. Maybe I'll do it on another day. But I'm telling you, many times it doesn't go well because the people won't follow. I know great spiritual leaders. You can read about them in the Old Testament. God called them, called them to do something, specifically told them, and the people wouldn't follow, like the children of Israel who wandered in the desert. Sometimes great things don't happen and trouble happens because the people drag their feet. And I don't say that a lot, but I'm telling you, that's true. Sometimes it's not the leader, it's the people. So that we, we all have this responsibility as leaders to say, God, is this you? And we try to seek to the best of our ability, and then we go trying to do our best. And, 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 but then it's, it's on the people, too. Will they, will they follow? 
Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your spiritual leaders. Wait, wait, wait. I, hear, I have people tell me all the time, there's no spiritual leadership in the Bible. Well, that's really weird that God put that in there then. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So let me, let me soften that a little bit in this respect. I'm not saying I'm Joshua. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great amount of authority in Moses and Joshua that I will never have. Moses, the most humble man, meekest man on the face of the earth. Uh, the, the fact that they were not only spiritual leaders in those passages, they were national, political, governmental leaders as well. I'm not that, all right? I'm not saying I'm Moses, but I humbly tell you that as a leader, we have to try to hear from God and move. And then we do our best to take it before people. And we're about to have a catalytic shift in our congregation as we talk about multi-site and going to other places. We believe that God is leading us there. I'll speak more about that in a moment. And along the way, when we talked about the high school, when we talked about coming here, when we talked about building other buildings, we built $3 million worth of buildings on the Saggart site. When we talked about those things, I would have people come to me and be negative. And I would have them say bad things about me to me, which was way better than them saying to others, right? And I just want you to know, when this passage says, put it up again, uh, thirteen seventeen. It says to follow your leaders in the middle of the verse, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. I want you to know that it, it, it re- I'm just being honest with you because people don't say this from public. It hurts. It hurts when people question your motives. It hurts when people say, I know better than you do and you're doing wrong and I'm gonna tell everybody about that. Now, now we got the sheep involved in this mess, right? And I'm just saying to you, be careful. It's on me and it's on you too. It's on us to walk together in unity. And we want to find the will of the Lord as we go forward. And that leads me to the fourth point. I've been on it already. We, the, the path to victory, the moving into the new land, was the, the river's about to open. They're going to victory. It will not happen if people don't follow in the direction that the Lord has told the leaders to go. It just doesn't happen. You don't experience it. What did these people do? They wandered 40 years in the Old Testament, what were they going to, uh, with Moses, what about now? Joshua 3.14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the Lord of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all the harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, so here's the leaders going first, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, and I just want you to know that's 20 miles away. So God had begun the work. Sometimes we can't see what's happening, but 20 miles away, he started all the elements moving so that river would be stopped 20 miles downstream in the, right, in the exact spot where they were going to cross. It would, it would be dry, this passage says. Picking it up. Um, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The water was completely cut off, it says. Verse 17, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all the people passed, Israel's people passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. They decided to go. They decided, we'll follow God, we'll follow the leadership, we'll go. God chooses key leaders, but if people don't follow, the miracles will not happen. It's true. Can I tell you this? 
I didn't plan this sermon to hit on this time of the year where we're going to have a vote on something tonight the way we are. But the unity uh, of direction leads to great blessing. Here's what it says in Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. What happens when a church walks in unity? It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for where the Lord, for there rather, listen, it's talking about unity, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When God's people walk together in unity, another verse, uh, a version of this, Verse three says, the Lord commands his blessing. The Lord bestows and commands his blessing there where there's unity. When the children of Israel didn't follow, they wandered. And Moses wandered with them. Now, we're having a vote tonight to um, begin this multi-site strategy that the Lord's been dealing with my heart for for a couple years. Why would we do multi-site? Why would we do other churches in southwest Portland? Well, uh, there are people beyond us here that aren't coming to church, and God wants to see them know him. You say, well, there are other churches. Here's why God, I believe that God's showing me this is why he wants us to move. Four words, grace, truth, word, and spirit. Uh, not every church carries the balance of those things, and there's a lot of good churches. Some of them emphasize grace and not a lot of truth. Some of them emphasize truth with not much grace. Some of them emphasize spirit, and there's not a lot of word of God taught there. Some of them emphasize word, and there's no spirit of God taught there. I believe the reason God wants us to move is he likes those four things, and he wants to see them happen in other locations. Word and spirit, grace and truth. I believe that God wants us to extend our boundaries in such a way and raise up young leaders where someday, listen, someday Horizon will be a church in many locations that runs hundreds in different cities in all the locations with great leadership in place. Because God loves people in Southwest Portland and he wants them to come to him. And tonight we have a vote before you to, to bring Woodhaven in as part of Horizon, a multi-site. Pastor Brad's there. He's exemplified great leadership through the years. That, that church has done a fantastic job reaching their community. And it's not a weak church. It's a strong church. And, and they, they've blessed that community. And we're believing that God would bring us together now, they've become part of Horizon, but we're recognizing that their leadership, the gifts they have, are going to add and multiply. One plus one plus one, because Esperanza's coming in, is going to equal ten. Exponentially, things move when, 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 you, when you work in God's fashion. The Jordan was blocked up 20 miles away. God's been working, with the elders have been working on this for eight or nine months. I've been dealing with this for two years. We've asked God, and the elders have voted 100% to put it before you tonight as a recommendation that we, that we bring Woodhaven and Esperanza in. We'll become one, one church in three locations and we'll work together to multiply to other locations uh, like, like um, Progress Ridge and Lake Oswego and, and other spots uh, in southwest Port Portland initially. So here's what's happening. We sought God. We believe we have his direction, and, and, and the leaders, have, we've put our feet in the water. And now we're waiting to see, you know, what, what, are, what are the others going to do? Well, God's been working for some time, and, and, and I believe he's calling us to enter these new cities, and he's going to do a great work to change lives.